Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's Word. Enjoy the message. Well, would you please stand, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're excited to step into the second message in this series as we're going to be walking through the first letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, and Holy Spirit inspired him 2,000 years later. We are still impacted by this, challenged by this, and we learn from it. And so uh, we will do just that as we head into this letter once again this week in the second message. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to begin by reading verse 10. Paul wrote, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And Lord, thank you for the reality of unity, that where there is unity, you command your blessing. Thank you for unity in this place, even today. And God, I pray that as we're in your word, that we will be even more equipped to walk in unity in every relationship that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I read of two unmarried sisters who, somewhere along the way, had a disagreement and As time went on and the offense grew in each of them, resentment built up, bitterness grew up, and it got to the point where these two uh, women refused to speak to each other. In fact, it got so bad that one of them angrily took a piece of chalk and literally drew a line in the house right down the middle and right to the front door. And these two sisters did everything that they could to not cross over that line. And they lived in deafening silence for years. How sad is that? So how many know that there are people that we come across in our lives who are hard to get along with? There are people that are hard to get along with. Now, if you are sitting beside one of them, please do not point them out right now. Okay. But the reality is that there are people that are hard to get along with. And I would say that all of us at some time or other have difficulty getting along with people because none of us are perfect and we're human. We have issues. We see that in the Bible that there were many, many, many people who didn't get along with each other. We're given the examples of of Adam and Eve. They were the first ones to play the blame game in marriage. Both lost terribly, and that's what usually happens with the blame game. Cain was so upset with his brother that he knocked him off. Jacob stole from his brother Esau. I mean, you go on and you, you see that uh, and Joseph's brothers were so jealous of him that they sold him into slavery. They couldn't handle him anymore. Like, get rid of this guy. Miriam and Aaron spoke against their brother. And you might say, well, that's kind of normal, speaking against your brother. But their brother was Moses, and God wasn't too happy with that. There were times when the Israelites grumbled against the leadership of Israel. There was an occasion where Elisha the prophet was made fun of by some unruly teenagers because he was bald. Not cool. Some people are hard to get along with. Just ask David. Saul threw spears at him multiple times because he was so upset with them. You fast forward to the New Testament, you see the disciples arguing from time to time. One of the times in particular is when they were arguing about who was the greatest. And Jesus is like, 
oh my goodness, how long do I have to put up with you guys? See, what Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is he wrote to them about issues, and one of the issues that he wrote to them about came with a challenge, and it's a challenge that as followers of Christ, as people who are living on this earth, interacting with other human beings who are imperfect just as much as we are, a challenge that we also need to continually hear, and that is a challenge to come together, a challenge to come together, a challenge to get along, a challenge to be unified. And the Apostle Paul began this letter, if you were here last week, you know, with not going into the issues right away, but with sharing with them the beauty of what they have in Christ, the fullness and the riches of what they have in Christ. They have salvation, they have grace, they have the empowerment to do everything that God calls them to do, all of the gifts that they need to do what God calls them to do. He said, in fact, you are rich in Christ. And after laying that foundation, that reminder of this is who you are, you have been empowered to live holy and to live right and to do what God wants you to do. After painting that beautiful, true, accurate picture, then Paul gets to the issues. And the first one is this. We read about in verse 11. Paul says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Now, we don't know much about this woman, Chloe, but what we do know is that she and her family had credibility with Paul. Paul listened to them, and so when they gave an eyewitness report of the contention and the strife in the Corinthian church, Paul didn't take this as gossip. He listened to them, he's like, oh, I believe you, and this is not good. And so Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he gave them examples of things that he had heard from Chloe's household of what they had been saying and what they were doing. And we see that in verse 12. Paul says, what I mean is this. In other words, here are some examples of your quarrels. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Now, this wasn't the only quarrel that the Corinthian church people were having. We'll get to a number of those throughout this series. But this was the first one that Paul addressed because this was a major one, a major issue in their church. They were rallying behind certain leaders of the early church and saying, we're with him, like him. It reminds me of when I was a kid and I went to a kid's camp and they divided us up into, I think, four different teams and we were given headbands, which signified the team that we were on and they divided us up and the names of our teams were African countries. And I'll never forget, I was on team Botswana, which was the best team in that place and we wore our headbands with pride. And we had points for being the loudest team. We had points for being the most, uh, the most uh, crazy team, the most creative team. I remember I got chosen to be in the three-legged race for the competition, just doing this huge decathlon. And, and I'm strapped up to some other kid. I don't remember that kid, but he was not as fast as me, I'm telling you. And, and so the gun goes off, and when it was our turn, like we're going against these other countries, and we're like, we're just, like everything in us, we're like, we don't care about life. All we care about winning. That's all we care about. And taking off, I remember just like running as fast as I could, and I didn't care. I didn't care about this kid. I'm just dragging him along, like, let's go. I'm going to crawl across this finish line. And, and we got points for our flag. If you've ever been at a camp, you've been at one of those, you got your flag, you have your team captain, and everyone's just like, yeah. 
pumped. You look down on the other teams, they're not as good. They're not as cool. If they won, it's politics. I can't. Kids can't. That, that's why. And, and that, that is a, a, the best picture I can come up with to describe what was happening in the Corinthian church. They were rallying around certain leaders and they were actually getting into factions. I mean, think divergent. I mean, they're getting into these factions and that's who, that's who they're with. They're not going to associate with anybody else. And what they were doing is they were mirroring the culture of Corinth. Corinth at that time was very competitive. And one of the main things was people who were gifted in their speaking would, would, would go out in the city square or they'd go out in another part of the community and they would, they would teach, they would speak. And the more gifted of an orator they were, the more people that would flock to them. And they would put labels, not physically, but they would just put labels on themselves like, I'm with him. Like he's the best speaker. He's the best whatever. I'm with him. And so they had these factions in the community, in the city of Corinth. And that surfaced then in the church. And it was like this. Some people were saying, I follow Paul. Paul founded and planted this church in Corinth. I'm following him. And others were like, yeah, but Paul actually is not that charismatic of a speaker in person. And others were like, yeah. So, so we're going to follow Apollos. And so there's another faction that's following, following this man named Apollos. He's a believer. He's a minister of the gospel. He's one that Paul had encouraged to go to Corinth and to help this church. And Apollos was known to be a great, eloquent speaker. And so there were people like, we're, gonna, we're with Apollos. Like, we're following him. We're a disciple of Apollos because he is such a great orator. And others were like... Yeah, but, but Apollos doesn't have the experience of some other leaders. And so we're going to follow Cephas. And there's another group that followed Cephas. Now Cephas is another word for Simon Peter. They're talking about Simon Peter, one of the disciples. And these people were like, Simon Peter was one of the inner circle disciples. Like he was there. He saw these miracles firsthand. We're going to follow Cephas. We're going to follow Simon Peter. And then others were like, no. I mean, yeah, he was there with them, but man, he denied Christ. I read about that. And he's rough around the edges. And you see what happens. There were factions that were developing in the church in Corinth. And Paul hears about this and he's like, what? Are you serious? And he lowers the boom in verse 13. Because he can hardly believe what he has heard. And these are not just disagreements. These are not just differences of opinions. This has developed into full-blown division. And Paul says in verse 13, guys, is Christ divided? And he was trying, I believe, to get them to see this picture of Jesus on the cross. Is Christ divided? I mean, did they pull his arms and his legs off of him? Of course they did not do that. Paul says, just as you can't imagine Jesus' physical body being torn apart because it wasn't as he was there on the cross. In the same way, the church is the body of Christ. That's what the word of God says. We are the body of Christ. And in the same way, we are not to be divided. We are not to have an arm over here and a leg over there and we're divided and we're not even connecting. 
And Paul's like, what, is Christ divided? Absolutely not. And then Paul says, was I crucified for you? Like, you're putting on the Paul label. You're putting on the Apollos label. Like, like these leaders, it doesn't appear, are doing anything to attract a following. It's just nature of people sometimes. Like, we just, uh, uh, we gravitate towards someone because of whatever it might be. And we follow them. Paul's like, come on, that's not what it's about at all. Paul didn't die for you. Apollos wasn't on the cross for you. No, that was Jesus, right? And so in some ways you could see that Paul is, is, is shaming them. But really what is happening is Paul is, is saying, I want to come alongside you. And then we go to our opening verse, verse 10, where Paul says, I appeal to you. As brothers and sisters, I appeal to you. One expositor said that, that this, is, this, is, this is like Paul getting on his knees and pleading with them. I appeal to you. Don't do this. Don't be divided. It has to stop. This is not Paul with his angry pants on. This is Paul on his knees saying, please, 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 please. I appeal to you as brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying, hey, it, it doesn't matter if you're a nurse or a pastor or a teacher or a contractor. It doesn't matter if you're black or Hispanic or Asian or white or Indian. It doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, we are one. And we have to live like that. Paul's like, guys, you're going to be spending eternity with these people. And there are no factions in eternity in the presence of God. Paul appeals to them as brothers and sisters in Christ to get them to wake up. Like, no, 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 no. We're one in the faith. And then he says, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can just roll right past that. But if we could camp out here just for a second and see how serious this was to the Apostle Paul. This is the only time in this letter when he calls them out in the name of Jesus. In the authority of of Jesus' name. Understand, we are saved by the authority of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we can be saved. It is in Jesus' name that demons are cast out. Right? And Paul says, in the name of Jesus, come together. This is this kind of gives me chills right now even thinking about this. Like this was not just a phrase that Paul used at the end of a prayer. Paul saying, in the name of Jesus, like in the same name in which we cast out demons. In the name of Jesus, come together. Don't let there be one more moment when you are divided. Do you get that from Paul? He's not angry. A little exasperated, but he's not angry. He is pleading with them. Please, 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 please. Don't miss this. You've got to come together. Don't be divided. He appeals to them then that they would all agree with one another. Here's what he's asking of them. You need to agree with one another in what you say. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, now this text is, is not teaching us that we can never have disagreements. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But it's not saying we can never have disagreements or differences of opinions. Right? We're people. We all have a, a, a unique mind. We can think about things. Everyone has different gifts and experiences and those things. It's not saying we can never have differences of, of opinions. But what had happened in this church is that the differences of opinions had mushroomed and ballooned into full-out division. 
And that division, when it get to, when we got to that point, it was affecting their faith in God. It was affecting their focus and their priorities. Get this, it was affecting their witness. And Paul says, please come together. You see, that, that's where the, the enemy wants us to be. He wants there to be gospel preaching church against gospel preaching church. He wants there to be competition in the kingdom of God. He wants, the enemy wants a pastor to be competitive against another pastor. Hmm. Paul's like, what? The enemy wants there to be division even within a local body of believers, a local church, ministry against ministry. He wants there to be division in marriage. Husband versus wife. Kid versus parent. The enemy loves it. Because the enemy knows that a divided house cannot stand. In the context of this passage, Paul is, is teaching them about the faith, like being unified in the faith, be unified in Jesus. And he says, you all need to agree with one another in what you say, let there be no divisions among you. Uh, most translations say agree with one another. Uh, New Living says live in harmony. KJV says speak the same things. One of the, the main words, this is really cool, one, at least I think it is, one of the main words in the Greek that's used in this passage where it's telling us to agree with one another and to come together, one of the main words used, transliterated into our English letters, is lego, L-E-G-O. It's interesting. L-E-G-O, Lego. Any Lego fans out there? Yeah, I got someone put up two hands. Like, yeah, maybe you're into it, your kids are into it, grandkids, whatever it might be. I mean, you all know about the company that has that name, Lego, and it's the little pieces coming together, right? They interlock in order to create something spectacular. They interlock in order to create something Beautiful. Now, uh, these things that are here, I know they're, they're kind of small, hard to see, but I did not create any of them. I was not a Lego guy. I didn't have the attention span for it. But really cool. I mean, what they're doing, like they have wheels on it, just cool creations that people can make when they put things together. And so what I want us to do is really take the rest of the message as an application of this passage for our lives and for our church and and, and do it in this way and, and with this question, how do we build Legos? How do we build Legos? In other words, how do we build unity? How do we build unity in church among believers? How do we build unity with other followers of Christ? How do we build unity in family? How do we do that? How do we build Legos? Number one, you look at the original picture. You look at the original picture. Many of us, if we're going to put something together, it's a chair, it's a Lego set, it's a whatever. We want to look at the original picture. Like this is the end goal, right? The original picture is the end goal. That's what we want our creation to look like. And how do we build Legos? How do we build unity in the body of Christ and even in family? Well, first of all, we need to look at the original picture. And the early church that we read about in the book of Acts was the original picture. And it was a beautiful picture of unity. Acts chapter 2 describes early church just as it's getting going, that they were praying together and worshiping together, and, and then they were spending time together in the Word. 
Acts 4, we fast forward a little bit after several miracles have, have taken place. And we read that the early church was um, united in heart and mind. They were like this. And they were so united that they were willing to share their possessions with each other. And the Bible records that no one had need among them. Wow. Because they cared for each other so much. It's the original picture. The early church, the unity that they experienced. One author put it like this. Imagine, imagine walking into a room where every person that you come in contact with humbly is thinking of others before themselves. It's not a shallow forced selflessness. It's really who they are. Overwhelmed by the love of God that they've experienced, they then love everybody that's around them. They don't just say encouraging things to you, but you can tell that they genuinely mean what they say and that they actually have been praying for you when they say that they've been praying for you. Imagine where everyone blesses everyone he or she sees and it's more than family. It's like everyone is treating each other like they are members of their own body. They're loving their neighbor as themselves. Rich or poor, everyone is a giver. Looking out for anyone who has a need. Everybody knows that if they went through a tough time, anybody else in that body of believers would open up their home to them. Imagine love being such a high level that God is known to be clearly in your midst. Signs and wonders. God's power released from heaven. There's so much love in that place that it invites the power of God and your friends are cured of illnesses and ailments. Unbelievers encounter Christ for the first time. Words of knowledge and prophecy are, are spoken. And the greatest miracle is the joy and peace that everyone feels in the presence of God. You just bask knowing. You just bask in that joy knowing that you are loved by God and that you are truly loved by others. It's not just a gathering. Every once in a while, it's life. Like that's your tribe, that's your family. That's the body of Christ. Imagine knowing that there are groups like this all around the world. Where you could go to a church in Europe, a church in Africa, a church in Australia, or wherever else. And find the same love and acceptance. Not because you're from this place or that place. Not because just you're a guest with them. But because you are a brother or sister in Christ. Boom, you're in. You're included wherever you'd go in the world. Imagine people being totally secure in their oneness with God. Totally secure in that. And selflessly living that out. That's the original picture, right? That's the original picture that we look to and say, I, I want my family to be like that. I want the body of Christ. I want our local church to be like that. And I'll tell you what, as pastor of this church, I see so many, so many pictures of that. I really do. Genuine care for each other, concern for each other, the generosity to help people in need. I see it literally every single week. Now, do we have a ways to go? Absolutely. Why? Because I've got a ways to go. I'm the pastor and I've got a ways to go. I'll admit that. We all do, I'm sure. But I see our church on that track of being together, of caring for each other, of loving each other, of humbly thinking of others before we even think of ourselves. Oh, God, would you bless our church in such a way that we would be able to look at the original picture and not see many differences from our picture.
Look at the original picture. Secondly, how do you build Legos? How do you build unity in the body of Christ and even in family? Well, read the instructions. Some of you are, are rogue, right? You open up that box and the first thing you do is you rip up the instructions because who needs those, right? But many people have to look at the instructions to see step by step the details of what needs to happen. Thankfully, the New Testament is full of details, steps that we need to take to build unity. I mean, we just read about the life of Christ and how he treated people and what he did. And what he sacrificed in order to help people. We're, we're taught to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. To care for each other. When at possible, live at peace with everyone. Care for those uh, who are in need. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing, right? Cry with those who cry. Be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. I mean, throughout the New Testament, I love that we are given instructions. Step after step after step after step for every day of our lives in how to help build unity, how we as the body of Christ come together. Number three, how do you build Legos? Build one piece at a time. Build one piece at a time. It's very hard to uh, put a project together with multiple pieces in your hands and you do it all at once. Like it doesn't work like that. Rome wasn't built in a day. A healthy family is not built in a day. A strong church doesn't just become strong overnight. It's so important for us to build one piece at a time. I want to challenge you with this as you think even, first of all, about uh, this local body of believers, this church, what we call CCC, this community of believers. What can you do even today? To help sow unity, to help sow love and forgiveness. What can you do even today? I mean, e even what we did during our greeting time just a little bit ago, we, we, we prayed for each other and then we let each other know. That helps to build unity, showing people that we, we care about them, not just ourselves. It might be even after service, just taking a couple extra minutes before you jet, just to say hi to someone or meet someone that you've been sitting by but you haven't yet had that interaction yet. Uh, we're, we're in the process of, of uh, you know, renovating some things. And one of those things is to get some uh, different furniture or uh, additional furniture, I should say, out in the lobbies. Well, we're just trying to create some, some connection spaces. Just trying to create some community spaces for us to uh, not always be in a hurry, but to enjoy being with each other. What can you do even today? Because we want to build one piece at a time. A strong church is not built in a day. Building one piece at a time, and that takes all of us doing that. What can you do even today to, to help sow unity and build Legos in your family? What could that be? I wonder what the Holy Spirit would bring into your heart right now. Something that you could do even today in your home with your relatives maybe. What, 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 what could you do? Like maybe it's giving someone the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe it's showing compassion. Maybe it's just telling someone, I forgive you or I'm sorry. Maybe it's just taking time to listen. But what can you do, what can I do, even today, even today, even today, to build one piece at a time? Remember, that, that family doesn't get strong overnight. 
It doesn't get healthy overnight. The marriage doesn't get healthy overnight. We all know that, right? What can you do even today? You, not your spouse, you, even today to help sow, to help build one piece, one more piece into that picture that God has created for your marriage, that God has created for your family and for this church. Build one piece at a time. Number four, value each individual part. Value each individual part. I mean, is one Lego more valuable than another Lego? Now, I'm not a Lego expert. Maybe there is. I don't, I don't even know. But it seems to me that to create something spectacular, you need every single one of the pieces, right? Because they're all to interlock. One builds on the other, builds on the other, builds on the other. Value each individual piece. That's so important in the body of Christ. You could say marriage and family as well, but specifically the body of Christ. We, we are taught to value each individual piece. We're not to value someone more because they are older or because they are younger. We're not to value them more if they seem to have this gift or that gift and, and this person doesn't have this gift or that gift. No, no, no. We're to value every piece. Paul said it like this later on in, in 1 Corinthians. Can I say to the hand, I don't need you? That would not work in the body, would it? A hand's like, foot, forget you. I don't even need you. I can walk away. We're to value. That's why Paul said later on in this letter, hey, if one part in the body of Christ suffers, we all suffer with him or her. If one part rejoices, we all rejoice. Don't you love that? That's the body of Christ, the undivided body of Christ that we are to be where we value each individual part. Number five, when you're building Legos, when you're building unity, give yourselves grace and give others grace. Give yourselves grace and give others grace. When you're building something, mistakes happen, right? You ever dropped a part on the ground? You ever uh, missed a step and then have to go back? Mistakes happen, right? Mistakes happen. And in life, mistakes happen. Sometimes we say things, oh, we would like to take back. Sometimes other people treat us in a way that, oh, they would like to take back. A wise person once told me, Keith, if you're going to be a pastor, you got to be good at letting things go. I would like to rephrase that to say, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be good and get good at letting things go. Because people are going to wrong us. People are going to say things sometimes even with the best intentions and it hurts. It happens. Mistakes happen. That's why we have to be a people as the church that give grace in the home, in the body of Christ, in our life group, wherever we're at. Give grace. And grace and unity and forgiveness are all countercultural. They're kingdom culture. Jesus is the king. His kingdom, his domain is known with unity, is known by by, by love and by forgiveness. That's countercultural. I mean, think about the media giants in our world today, and most people have their favorite or a couple that they check out. They have become giants in the media industry because division sells. Think about this. If you knew that every time you clicked on 
website or your app for one of those media giants or you turned on the television to check out the news, what was happening that day. If every time that you clicked on that, that you looked at that, it was only stories about politicians praying together. Or it was only stories about people in society hugging each other. All the videos were just handshakes, hugs, smiles. Those media giants would not be media giants for very long. Division sells. For some reason, we gravitate toward conflict. And as much as we'd like to say, no, 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 as a society, yes, we do. We want to see conflict. And that's terrible. But we do. It attracts our attention. Here's the thing. The church is to be different. The church must be different because we are not to be the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of our God, the kingdom of Christ. And in his kingdom there is unity and there is love and there is forgiveness, which is hope for a hurting world. Give yourselves and others grace. When people make mistakes, let it go. Come together and move forward. Number six, build together. Build together. Yeah, you can build something by yourself. A lot of people like that, but it's special when you can build something together. And unity cannot be fully built and fully crafted with one person. It takes a group. I'll say this about marriage. I've seen this so many times, so many times, so many times since I've been a pastor. And that is, I, I, I see uh, whether we'd call it ships passing in the night or like, uh, like this where um, a wife is, is just like, we got to work on this marriage. We got to do this. We got to get counseling. We, this is bad. We, we need help. We can't figure out this on our own. And, and the husband's like, no, no, no. I've seen this so many times. Nah, we, we're fine. Whatever. I'm going to go watch a game. Like, it's, it's, it, we're fine. Like, what's your deal? We're going to be okay. I'm a good husband. Like, we're going to be all right. And then I've seen this so many times, and it breaks my heart every time. It makes me want to cry right now. And I'm going I'm to try not to. But I've seen it way too many times where the, the wife gets tired. She gets tired. And she says, I, fine. I'm not going to try. Fine. I'm going to quit badgering him about counseling. I'm, I'm just and then, and, then, and then I've seen it so many times where the husband, get, his attention is caught, and he's up here. He's like, whoa, whoa, we got to do something about this marriage. Got to do something about this marriage. And I've seen where in their relationship, the husband realized, at least in those moments, that it might have been too late. And I have seen that so many times. And my prayer has been so many times, God, help the husband and the wife to both be up here. Like if they need help to get it, to go after it both, red hot. For their marriage saying, we need help. We don't have it figured out. We got problems. We got issues. Yeah, we got baggage. We need help. But to want it at the same time. Because to have unity, it has to be built together. It has to be built together. Same as with the body of Christ. We got to build together. It can't just be one person. It's got to be everyone saying, you know what? We're in this together. We're going to value each other, every single part. We're going to build one piece at a time. And we're going to, we are going to build this thing together. I, I think about the cross of, of, our, of our Christ. Um, you know, there's that vertical piece and the horizontal piece. That vertical piece, I, I think, can really symbolize our relationship with the Lord, right? It's vertical. It's to God. And then that the horizontal piece, I think, can symbolize so many things, but can symbolize our relationship with others. We need to build together. 
That's why uh, being consistent in weekend services is so important. We, we really believe that. We really put a lot into it because we want to be in the presence of God together. There's power when we are together. There's care when we are together. That's why uh, experiencing group life is so important for us. A number of us experience that in life groups. A number of us experience that uh, even this last, uh, these last six weeks during our 40 days of prayer. When we were in the fellowship hall and we started our evening, many of you were there, we started our evening just together. Sharing testimonies, caring for each other, sharing prayer needs, praying for each other. It was awesome. And if you were a part of that and you felt that and you experienced that, you're like, I want more of that, go after it. Get into a life group, start a life group, come this Wednesday to midweek experience, like uh, be at mom to mom. You know what I'm saying? Like there are opportunities for group life with other believers. We need it. We have to build together. Now, let me get even more specific, and it's this. There are times, there are times in the body of Christ when there can be disagreements, where uh, you're both followers of Jesus, but there's a, an issue, there's a question that you just see differently. I want to talk about that for a second. What, what, what should you do when it's another follower of Christ and you're just, you're just not on the same page? Like we've got, we've got issues. There's disagreement there. It's pretty strong. And you're not wanting to go to division. So, so, so what do you do? I think a couple questions are, are really good to ask. One is this, what can we agree on? It's a great way to start a conversation, sometimes in the middle of one to throw it in there or sometimes at the end. What, what can we agree on? We kind of disagree on this point, but what can we agree on? Can we agree that the word of God is the word of God? Can we agree that the Bible, Old and New Testament, verbally inspired by our God? Can we believe that? Can we agree on that? Can we agree that God, Yahweh, Hebrew word for God, is the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth? Can we agree on that? You know what I'm saying? Like you're in with a follower of Christ and kind of disagreement about something. Well, can we agree on that man by voluntary sin became separated from God? And so incurred not just physical death, but spiritual death. And that man's only hope, man's only hope is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Can we, can we agree on that? You see what I'm saying? Asking can we agree on this, what can we agree on, helps to bring the relationship together to where, you know what, um, this relationship is going to be more important than the disagreement. Because we can agree on this. Another great question to ask is this, can we agree that what we agree on is more important than what we don't agree on. <laughs> there are going to be things that we disagree on at times, but can we agree that what we agree on is more important than what we don't agree on? There are going to be things that you and another follower of Christ at times don't fully agree on. And I want to say that's okay. Now, I want to make this very clear, so I don't get any emails this week about this. I want to make this very clear. What I'm about to talk about, three specific areas that you might not agree on with someone else. I am not referring at all to biblical standards, okay? We got to agree on biblical standards. We got to agree on the word of God. Absolutely. Hopefully you get that. But as followers of Christ, as humans, there are times when there are other things that we might not agree on. And what I want to say is that's okay. That's okay. One of these that kind of can be a, 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 a tripping point for some people, that being followers of Christ that disagree on something, is the area of personal choices. 
personal choices. Once again, I'm not talking about biblical standards of purity and holiness. I'm not talking about that. Like of what God has clearly said, I'm not talking about that. Personal choices. Now, the year 2020 gives us a lot of great examples for what I'm talking about. Right? Where we all realized in 2020 is that we all have strong opinions. And we all think that we're right. And everybody else is wrong. The case in point would be masks. The case in point would be vaccines. Case in point would be distancing or whatever else. Just using this as an example, we all came to a place where we had our opinions, whatever they were, based on our research and our vast knowledge, and we were right. What I want to say is when it comes to personal choices, I'm not talking about biblical standards, just personal choices. Those are a few examples. It's okay to disagree. But what's important for us as followers of Christ is that we remain humble in our opinion, in that personal choice, and we don't look down on others if they don't have the same opinion. Very important. Another um, pitfall, if you will, for followers of Christ, if there is something that um, is a disagreement, would be the area of personal convictions. Personal, it's something that you feel really strongly about. It doesn't necessarily say it word by word in the scripture about it, but you just have a personal conviction. Maybe the Lord put that on your heart and you have personal convictions. I have personal convictions about um, movies and television. But what I can't do is look down on others who don't have the same personal convictions that I do. See what I'm saying? I actually try very hard to never preach personal convictions. I try very hard to not do that. Why? Because they're personal convictions. I've had people uh, talk with me over the years that have personal convictions about a lot of different things. They're passionate about something. It might be they're, they're, they're passionately opposed to certain companies because they support XYZ. Okay, okay. Uh, passionately opposed to celebrating certain holidays because of what uh, this, that, and everything else stands for in their research. I've had people that are passionate about certain emblems that need to be on our platform. Passionate about it. I, one person, he doesn't attend our church anymore, God bless him, but he, he was passionately opposed to how I pray. How I pray to God. Like me, trying to talk to God. Passionately opposed to how I did that. He had a personal conviction. Like that's, this is the way that you pray. Not like that. Passionately passionate. Hey, it's okay. All right? That's okay to have personal convictions. But what we have to do as the body of Christ, if we're going to build Legos, we're going to build unity, is when it comes to personal conviction, I'm not talking about biblical standards, it's personal convictions, that we do not look down on others and treat others differently or as less than if they don't have the same personal convictions we do in that particular area. Does that make sense? One more area. And that is a pitfall also for people, and that is personal mission. See, see, God has given us a heart to love people. He's given us compassion to love people. He's given us energy and resources in order to make a difference, and we want to do that. But what I have seen at times as being a, a pitfall for followers of Christ in an, an area of disagreement is when a person is ultra-passionate about a certain cause and expects everyone else to be as passionate as they are about that cause. And it's very likely just something that the Lord has put on their heart that they need to go after. And God has uniquely gifted others with other passions. Does that make sense? To go after other things. I've, I've seen people being very passionate about 
needs that are legit, like those that are being trafficked, those that are in abusive relationships, those, that, um, those, those who are unborn, passionate for homeschool, passionate for public school, passionate for a certain political party, passionate for the persecuted church. And that's all awesome. God has put that on your heart. Go after it. Make a difference. But what we have to be careful in the church as followers of Christ is that if God has put a personal passion, personal mission on our heart, we must be so vigilant that we don't look down on others if they don't have the same personal mission that we do. We are to be the body of Christ. Support and love, rejoice with someone with that personal conviction and that personal mission. And then know that they're going to respect you. That You might not have that same personal conviction in that way, but you've got this one and they need to respect that one. Building Legos is not easy, but when we do it together, it is possible. It is possible. As we look at the original picture of the early church, we read the instructions. I mean, it's laid out in Scripture so clearly. We value each and every part. We build one piece at a time. We build together. And then finally, after you build it, after you build unity, guard it. After you build unity in your marriage, in your family, in the church, guard it. Imagine a kid. He's just built something like this. And this is just, I don't even know how someone could do this. My attention span. There's no way I could pull this off. And this is so cool. And imagine a kid builds that and then he sets it in his room. It's on the floor. All the pieces have been put together. The box is off to the side. It looks so much like the original picture. He is so or she is so proud of this creation, can't wait to tell mom and dad and show them when they go home from work. You know what I'm saying? Like, just pumped, can't wait. All of a sudden, the dog strolls into the room. And the dog starts making a beeline to that Lego creation. What does that little boy or little girl do? Tackles the dog. There's no way that dog gets free reign over that creation, right? That kid is going to run and poof, tackle the dog, hold it down for like four and a half hours until mom and dad get home. Here's the thing. There is a very real enemy that wants to destroy unity. Spoiler alert, he wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy the local church because that's the change agent in the world. He wants to destroy it. And when unity has been built, we got to guard it. We got to guard it. Here's why. There's too much at stake. Jesus said this in John 17. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. You see that, that unity, God the Father, God the Son. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. Then the world will know that you sent me. It is through our unity that the lost have the dots connected that Jesus came. We must guard unity in marriage, family, the body of Christ, because there is too much at stake. It's something that we go after with everything. And that's why you can envision Paul 2,000 years ago as he's getting this news of the quarrels in Corinth. He's on his knees pleading, like, I appeal to you in the authority of Christ, in the name of Jesus, come together. 
Come together. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Come together. Come together. Come together. Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments and pray about what you just heard. If this message spoke to you, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to office at cccmidland.com or connect with us on your favorite social media at cccmidland.